listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Hey, Sammy and Kieran, how are you going? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, terrific, thanks. Awesome. I'm enjoying your book, Kieran. I'm so glad. You know, it's um, it's nice to put something out in the world and get some good feedback. So it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it'll be of great interest to non-skiers and people that don't like the, the cold as well. It's it's a great read. Cool. So today, we've what we found out from your book is that you are secretly a crazy race dad, <laughs> ski race dad. <laughs> <laughs> So we have one of your daughters here. Uh, you have three daughters, Gabby and Fraser. And today we have Sammy with us and she's on the national ski team. So Sammy, let's start with you and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so my name is Sammy Gall and I'm a 22-year-old um, alpine ski racer on the national team. I grew up between Pambula Beach, New South Wales, just a small like coastal surf town, like about two hours away from Jindy, and a small ski town in Canada called Rosslyn, British Columbia. And I'm also a commerce student at ANU, uh, ah. ski race. But yeah, the main focus is ski racing for me at the moment. Nice. Awesome. And where are you in at the moment and why? Um, <laughs> I'm currently in Queenstown training out of Coronet Peak. Um, I'm here for my prep camp kind of period. A lot of ski racers spend around like six to eight weeks like on, for an on-snow block before the season really gets going. So Coronet Peak and Queenstown are in New Zealand. And yes. so why why would Australia the Australian ski team choose New Zealand? Is that just because it's winter now? Or have you got some sort of, like, how does it work with New Zealand ski racing people? Yeah, so in the past, from U14 to U16, I trained with the Threadbow Ski Racing Club. Um, And that was a great experience. But at the moment, more of the FIST racers spend time in New Zealand training just because we have more access to solid training venues in like across Australia, we have like good training as well, but there's just so much demand for other areas of the hill. So it's hard to kind of get the training that we need. And here with some like pretty good success from ski racers um, from New Zealand, they the mountains are pretty open to that. So you also do GS, sorry. Um, and yeah. obviously the mountains are bigger in New Zealand. So that allows yeah. bigger courses for you, <laughs> longer yeah, runs. Yes, for sure. That's <laughs> definitely a consideration because a lot of the like training hills we're at um, are in the alpines, so there's no trees, so you don't really have to worry about that. Don't have to put put a lot up a lot of netting, so it's like quite easy for slalom and GS and super G, which I don't really do, but yeah, that is a big big advantage. And when you say the fist races, um, you're referring to the how do you say it in French? Federation Federation de International Ski. 
I think. <laughs> Wait, so it, clear on so it's basically like all. French out. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to touch that one, but um, yeah. So all your ski races around the world, when you say they do like to come to New Zealand as well. Yeah, exactly. So we have a lot of international, like national teams here. We have the American team, their Norwegian men's team usually comes every year, and then we have people from like Germany, UK some other like independent American racers and obviously like heaps of Australians and New Zealanders. Yeah. So you kind of know yeah. where everyone is at on the world stage then if you go to New Zealand. You miss out if you don't go to New Zealand of kind of wearing, seeing where you are in the pack. Yeah. So there's kind of two main training places in the world um, during like the summer. Well, not for us, but I mean for you. <laughs> North Americans and that's in like Ushuaia in Argentina and then in New Zealand there's like Coronet Peak, Round Hill, Ohau, like a couple other places. That's kind of, those are the two of like the main centers. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Probably cheaper, yeah. easier to get to New Zealand, would it be for you? Or well, are there better definitely, facilities? Definitely for me coming from yeah. Australia. Um, I wouldn't say the same for people coming from Europe. Oh yeah. Um sometimes like Argentina can be a bit cheaper, but just depends how yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's so we're talking about where you are now, but take yes. us back to the start. <laughs> well, actually, Kieran, you take us back to like before Sammy speaks, you take us back to how you thought that she would be a good ski racer. Why why the thought process there? Yeah. Um you know, she's. Uh, I thought she'd be a great skier because she was just a freak. Like she started walking at five months and she could walk up and down stairs at eight months. And then she had this jolly jumper, which is the thing for jumping up and down on. And you just couldn't get her off it. She would just do like be doing leg presses and jumping all day <laughs> long. And then, and then I got her up skiing before her um second birthday uh, at Threbo, you know, on the weekend before the long weekend when she was like, you know, one, not quite two. And I, I just let her go and she could ski and she would just be yelling down the slope going, I'm geeing, I'm geeing. And she couldn't talk properly, but, but there's just such joy and love there that I'm like, yeah, this girl's, she's a skier. So that was it. Oh, I love- <laughs> And what's your first memory of skiing, Sammy? Well, so my first ski memory is probably from when I was in Red Mountain. So I don't remember the first time I skied because oh. yeah, I was yeah, yeah one or two. So it's mm. way up. So I always remember being on snow. Um, but I would just remember like skiing with dad at Red Mountain. And Red's one of those places in the world where it's like a skier's mountain. So there'll be yes, a four-year-old up double black diamonds and that's normal. And doing these little tracks called mini bowls where you just shoot off jumps like down through like moguls and powder, just sent down there. So I remember doing that and that's pretty special. And what about your two sisters? Have have they had the ski bug, the ski racing bug, or do they enjoy just enjoy skiing? Yeah, so I at the moment they just enjoy skiing but they grew up doing the same ski racing program with me at, um, in Red Mountain, about the Red Mountain racers. So they can all ski really well and they enjoy going out for a rip, but ski racing wasn't really their thing. 
Yeah. So what made it your thing? Just like get up and go? What what made ski racing your thing? Yeah. So as dad said, I think I've always just had a real love and passion for it. And just ski skiing in general, though, like I love free skiing, like powder days, love the not so good ski racing days. I think any day on the mountain is a good one. And ski racing is a pretty difficult sport. So having that, that enduring, like underlying passion for it, I feel like gets you through things. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what I really love about it that gets me going out there every day is just the process of getting better. It's kind of like an unlimited, like, like spectrum of like ways you can improve. So I like having a training run and feeling like I've taken a step forward and then being like, okay, but I can do even better next time. So it's pretty addicting in that sense. Yeah, true. I'd love to know about, um, I guess we want to get into like the ski racing scene at the moment and Australia versus the rest of the world. But Kieran, can you take us back to like the 80s and the ski racing world and how Australia looked at the time? Yeah, it was very different um, back then. We we had a, a national team that trained together and traveled together. And we we had this terrific guy called Stephen Lee. And Steve was, you know, just an amazing talent. If, if he probably hadn't been burdened with us, he probably would have won multiple World Cups. He ended up still winning one and finishing, you know, in the top 10 you know, 20 or 30 times. So he was an unbelievable talent and that gave us really good sponsorship as a team. Um, so, you know, so we're all pretty well funded and um, sort of did did well and um, that that sort of thing. But, but that sort of camaraderie, I guess, you know, is still sort of coming through. Like, you know, I got a note this morning from one of the guys that was on the team and you know it's just very supportive and um so it's a little bit different now that it's just so fragmented the the training group just never really comes together as one sort of thing so that I think that's a bit disappointing but it sort of reflects you know sort of how the pathways evolved over time and maybe Sammy could talk a little bit more about that tell us about your pathway go for it Sammy yeah that's yeah, so I'll just start with where I'm at at the moment and then take a couple steps back from there. So, as I said before, you're named to a national team, you get like a jacket and a ski suit and a little bit of like other support, which I'm very grateful for, but there's not like a united like team that you train with as dad said. So it's funny like most of the Australian team is actually here training in New Zealand, but all with different groups. So it's very fragmented and you don't really get like um a unified training group. So everybody kind of has to go their own way. Moguls oh. are over there. So the moguls are over there. The GS oh. is here, the ice. So no. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to break that down. Like yeah. I'm just talking about Alpine. And oh, yeah. Moguls and some other teams actually are, are a lot more unified. Like they have dedicated training areas in Parashar. So Cooper Woods, who I actually grew up going to high school with in Pamela Beach, is on the National Moguls team. Classic. Um, with breeding yeah. grounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they have a pretty sweet setup and parisher there um, and more of like a year-round like training situation. I think Alpine is different in that like we don't have that in the same sense. Okay, sorry. So keep talking about your Alpine experience. It kind of <laughs> Yeah, so so now like 
I'm doing like my like own like individual program. I'm with like with another national team member like who does the same thing called Connor Leggett. Um, but aside from that, everybody's on their own own kind of path. Um, so does that make you competitive? Like, or you know, do you have that Australian feel, or you go, okay, there's Greta Small over there, and she's my competitor. Is that a is that what I'm yeah. getting? Or no? Um, like yes and no. Like you, you like get a bit of both. Like I think at this stage, everybody just wants the best for everyone. Okay. And you see another Australian, and you're like, oh hey, like it's oh, been cool. ages. Like, like yeah. so, it's it's that mix. Like I think in ski racing or any other sport, like obviously the goal is to, like to beat people and like yeah, try to practice. <laughs> like I'd be lying if you didn't like feel that. Um, you probably wouldn't be a very good ski racer if you didn't have a little bit of like competitive energy going. So true. Um, but they're like friends at the end of the day. Um, and I think like when I was younger, you can kind of speak to that through the like Threadbow Ski Racing Club. And I was also on a couple of inter-schools team. Like you did get a little bit of more of that like Australian camaraderie. Um, and a lot of the people I went to TSRC with or over like my five years with them, like I now see in all like different places, um, ski racing. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started to, what age were you when you went from into schools to the pathway to, they went, okay, you are awesome. Come put the jacket on. Tell us about that journey. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a little hard to describe because like the inter-school circuit and the, um, circuit for like alpine skiers in the like youth ages is separate so i started inner schools at around like year seven um and i did that for jindabyne central school and i did that at the same time as i did like the national like youth ski races wow yeah they're separate circuits yep if that makes sense and then yeah, and then the youth racing goes until you're around 15 or 16, and then this starts at around um, 16. And so, so I'm just going to ask a like a silly question, but do you, do you to get from that to the fist stuff? Do you have to be invited? Do you apply? Do you get handpicked? How do you get on that? Yeah, so Dad can also jump in on this, but. Anybody can be a fist racer, but it kind you kind of see a lot of people leaving the the sport because there's increased costs, increased commitment, mm-hmm. and it's just much more competitive. So you just see a lot of people kind of like naturally like going away from the sport because of that. If that makes sense. So, yeah, but the. Yeah. So, Kieran, were you a big part of kind of going, okay, I see this talent, let's keep it going, let's get it on the fifth circuit? Is that kind of how it happened? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, sort of even even before that, uh, you know, you could see that Sammy was just extraordinary. Like all the local races in BC, she won them all. Like at U14, she was the provincial champion sort of thing and was just winning everything. And And then she... I think she won the Whistler Cup, which is an international children's race. Or oh, she got second, actually, in the slalom at U14. And so you could see even then internationally, she was just going great. So 
we were trying to work out what we do in terms of training. And there was a good group of girls at the Thrimbo Ski Race Club and we were coming back for school. So it was a natural just to sort of put her into that. And as a result, she did the the inter-schools races, which is, you know, really cool um, sort of pathway here too. Um, and then, um, you know, the natural move to Fierce, as Sammy was saying, lots of people drop out there because it becomes more competitive and more expensive. But it also, the timing of it is getting close to those last two years of high school. So a lot of people sort of drop out because, you know, you know, they need to spend more time on their studies and that sort of thing. So um, so- I guess, can I interpret what you're saying is like you get to that point and then you're basically like, all right, this is going to be more important than potentially your HSC mark, your final exam for high school in Australia? Yeah, I, I think if you're really, really competitive, um, that that's absolutely true. But what what happened and and what's happened with the pathway in Australia is that the ones that are showing exceptional talent um, and also hopefully if they have the money are typically going to ski academies overseas for those last two or three years of high school and then transitioning on. So, um, for instance, there's a great ski academy in Vermont called Burke uh, Mountain Academy. There's another one called um, Green Mountain Valley School, GMVS, which Sammy went to. There's a big one in Austria called Stums. Um, there's um, there's one in uh, California. And, and so there's probably five or six ski academies um, in the world. And so they've become the sort of de facto next pathway. Um, and they're quite good because they lead into um, Division One college racing in the US, which is a really high level as well and and, and super fun because it's sort of a teams-based event. Um, and, and so instead of what I was saying before that Australia just had a national team, we all trained together, the de facto pathway has become, uh, okay, you do inter-schools, you join a race club. If you're showing really exceptional talent and if your family has the money, you go to one of these ski academies overseas and then maybe you do college racing or maybe you jump straight into the higher levels of fist, maybe Europa Cup or even World Cup if you've, if you've got that talent. So, so that seems to be the pathway now. And there's, there's some really positive things about it and, and some negatives. And maybe Sammy could speak to that because she went to that Green Mountain Valley School. Yeah. Tell us more. Yeah. I didn't even know that this was like everyone that we've had a chat to, they didn't even mention these kind of academies, but we haven't really spoken to the Alpine races. So this is this, this might be just a thing for Alpine racing, yeah? Like more mostly, mostly, yeah. Um, yeah. The, like for the mogul skiers, you know, there's just an incredible program that they've they've created in Australia for mogul skiers. So, you know, so they've created a good team culture and lots of coaching and that sort of thing, and they've got lots of funding because of their success. So they're they're almost an entity onto themselves, and and some of the other disciplines, you know, are also doing well. But alpine skiing is very different to those other disciplines in the sense that in slalom and GS. There's probably four or five hundred thousand registered races in the world, whereas in moguls there might be four hundred, something like that. Yeah. So it, it's it's a, just a, a massively different sort of competitive environment. 
So, yeah, um, yeah. And, and so that's why these ski academies have been created and, you know, that sort of thing to get into World Cup and that sort of, yeah. Yeah. So go, go for yeah. it. Me talk to us about, um, yeah, the whole your academy experience and how you got there. And Absolutely. Yeah, so as Dad said, I went to the Green Mountain Valley School or, like, otherwise known as GMBS. And that's, like, a ski academy of, like, 150 students um, for alpine ski racing but also for cross-country skiing. But it's mostly, like, an alpine academy. Um, so, yeah, you get, you get a bit of both there. <laughs> Opposite um, ends of the scale, fast and slow. Well, not slow. I didn't think I'd ever really go to an academy like coming up just because of the cost. Um, but I was really lucky um, as I like, got a pretty um, sizable scholarship that allowed me to go. And it was right at a good time because I was at Lumen Christi College, sorry, Lumen Christi Catholic College down on the far south coast. And they, weren't that supportive of ski racing or the time that I would be away. So I'd pretty much miss half the year. And that's really not that great for trying to be a good student and have pathways outside of sport growing up. So it came up at a good time. So I did my last three years of high school there. And that was like a great like development and also school pathway. So I didn't miss really any school. So was it the Australian school system or the UK or like? No, so the American. Oh, the American, yeah. Okay. System. Um, but how it worked is that we'd ski and do school. So in the winter, for example, we'd ski from 7 a.m. until around like 2 p.m. in the day. And then we'd do afternoon classes until around 7 or 8. And then have dinner, wow. tune skis then do it again and then in the off seasons we would have similar programs for physical training we'd have two sessions a day there's a gym at school you'd work with your ski coaches who are also like physical training coaches so it's a really like excellent system in terms of like having that support through the whole season and also having a group of people doing the same thing and working towards some of the same goals but also getting that education at the same time, which I think is an important piece. Hmm. Well, you're now going to UN, like, where are you going? Sorry, in Canberra, is it? What are you doing now in your... Yes, I'm doing a commerce degree at the Australian National University. So perfect. (laughs) So it was actually a really good life and you still ski racing, which is amazing, which is like... Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's great to do both. Um, And I think... I think it just makes you like even on the bad days on ski racing, you have something else to do in your afternoon. And it's almost like a good distraction because you see a lot of Europeans, especially only having ski racing as their whole identity, whole mm-hmm. personality. So when you're injured or things aren't going so well, mm-hmm. that can be pretty. Um, I think that's um I think that's brilliant because we do speak to athletes who possibly like might be a little bit older where, yeah, I don't know if there was the option back there, but certainly it's this, it's like the athlete path, and then somehow you've got to go from the athlete path to post athlete life. And yeah. I guess what you're doing now is bridging that gap between the two, which is good. Like you say, like if you're injured, it gives you another like st- string to your bow or whatever. Yeah, um, sure. yeah. What about um, Kieran? Going back to your experience ski racing, I know you did finance in the past but how can you compare like 
back in the day to now? Uh, you know, now is just so much better because there's the internet. Um, I, I just um, <laughs> I don't think we'll be pretty easy. much. <laughs> I pretty much just missed my whole last two years of high school. And as a result, I didn't do very well in the final exams. And um, and then the first two years of university when I was still doing um, study, I, I was just hopeless. Um, but when I gave up ski racing, suddenly my marks went from terrible to um, like stellar. And um, I ended up winning the, you know, a bunch of university academic prizes in the final year and got a good job in finance and went on. But maybe if I just backtrack a little bit, just for the people listening, those ski academies in the US, um, it's expensive. Uh, they cost about typically about 70,000 Australian dollars a year. Um, yeah. Sammy got a scholarship um, where it cost her about 10,000. So if you're a good talent, they'll heavily subsidize and support even Australians um, because they've got this massive base of really great fundraising of um, people just wanting to help, you know, people do ski racing and follow their passions. So, so don't think that it's out of, out of reach. If, if you're a family thinking about some of these things, you know, apply for those scholarships. Um, and, and Sammy right away in that first season um, sort of repaid them that they, they had a couple of big races in the East coast of the U S and um, Sammy, because she hadn't raced in the U.S. before, she had to start pretty much last or second last. And she won all of those the biggest races in the in the U.S. by like two seconds, the sort of thing. Um, and, and so immediately that was, you know, unbelievable advertising for GMVS's program mm. and, you know, what they were doing. Um, and, and Sammy was on such a good trajectory at that point and things were going well. And then, um, and then they went to Chile in Argentina and she was doing some chin-ups or something in the gym. And, and Sammy will tell you about the horrible accident maybe that happened next. Well, yeah, my first year of this. I I just had a freak gym accident. There was like a metal clamp on one of the pull-up assisting bars that slingshotted and hit me in the head. Oh. And yeah, so it just came at such a velocity that I got a pretty severe concussion. Oh. Um and oh. then for the next uh for the next couple of months I was recovering from that, thought it was all recovered. Then I had Another concussion. Playing in a soccer game, just getting. Oh tripped. my gosh! Honestly, you athletes, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's crazy. Like that, it wasn't even in like a like big ski crash or anything. It was just yeah. those. Oh well, we were just talking to Josie Baff last week, right? And she did the same. Oh she yeah, my elbow right before skateboarding, right before the bloody Olympics, and we're like. You gotta stop these things. Just yeah, keep stop, stop these things. Stop these spin ups. Stop these skateboards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. Oh. Funny enough, like it's those accidents that you don't anticipate because you're not focusing in the same way you would be like during like a ski racing run. And of course there's big big accidents then too, but yeah, it's always those little weird things. So how do you recover? How do you recover? How do you get back on track? Go, right, let's go. I've got to get um 
where's the brain? Have you got people around you to help or is that your dad and your mum and your sisters? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a bit of a mix of everything. Of course, that family support was huge. Um, but at GMBS, we had like physical training yeah. and like physical, like therapists, like team. And also mm-hmm. I had to do quite a lot of doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, but that included like daily rehab because my eyes want to track properly so even reading a book for about a year after my concussions just wasn't really in the cards just because it gave me a headache even doing things like driving a car like I get a headache so obviously I didn't drive it was just and then light and noise sensitivity getting my heart rate up to a certain point it was a real nightmare and so that kind of plagued me for Um, A couple of seasons, I really didn't get much training. Um, I had some decent results, like considering, but not near where my like my potential was. So it was pretty frustrating and a pretty difficult experience. Yeah. Yeah. So are you okay now? Do you feel better now? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay now. And that's a real relief because I think another thing that it hurt was my confidence. And confidence is everything in sport and also ski racing where you have one shot it's a 60 second course and a lot of what you're fighting is fear because you have to kind of be fearless to be fast and take all the speed in the course and that was just something that I didn't have all together after recovering from my concussions because I felt like I was just under threat of having a new concussion and that could just end my racing altogether so that was definitely really scary and probably one of the toughest things I've gone through because yeah, those three concussions just were pretty, pretty horrible. You know, like now they wouldn't even let you ski race probably. I mean, knowing how at the forefront, what concussions are like in any type of sport at this stage, you know, they put you out for months, years now, you know, like in in rugby league or you, so you're kind of really lucky and amazing that you got back and, you know, I guess it didn't happen on the race, like on the race course. So you could kind of think, okay, it happened in a gym. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know, but yeah. What's the speed you're going down at GS? Like, let's talk about fear. <laughs> yeah. So that's anywhere between like 60 to 90 kilometers per hour. Dad, do you reckon that's right? Yeah. Yeah. And how many gates have you got to turn around? On GS, like what's the standard? Oh, probably around 50. I'd what say. Is, do you want to explain what GS is actually? Yeah, of course. Someone's going GS. <laughs> yeah. So GS is also known as Giant Solemn. So it's where you have to race around pretty much this obstacle course of these paneled gates. So you have like two single gates in a panel and you have to go around the gate. Um, and you're pretty much looking for the least line possible and getting down in the quickest amount of time. And the cool thing about ski racing is that you can do it on so many different courses. So that can be a flat course or a steep course and any type of weather condition. So you're basically trying to get down this obstacle course down the mountain in varied conditions as fast as you can. It's yeah. just a racing clock. You never want the powder and the race to combine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's usually not the best. Like we're looking for 
like icy conditions. So, so what, what's your sure. favorite course, the steep or the longer kind of technical ones? Like I would imagine steep's pretty technical too, but <laughs> yeah, for me, I really enjoy courses with a lot of rollers and a lot of, a lot of things happening in the course that are, that kind of makes it like a bit like a roller coaster. So yeah. Yeah. There's two main disciplines that I do. So I do giant slalom, which yeah. is the larger distance around 30 meters between each gate. And then I do slalom, which is around 12 meters between each gate. And it's a single pull. And I pro- I prefer slalom because it's just faster reaction. Oh. Um, really fun. A lot of different ways you can set a slalom course. So it's quite mental as well as physical because every time an inspection you're trying to like figure out this puzzle of like okay what's the fastest way i can ski this and then you have to execute on the first run um so it's pretty demanding and i and i like that i like showing up and being like okay like i have this one shot like how can i make the best out of it and that's yeah. super cool you said 12 meters when you see it on like set on the course it looks like they're about 3 meters apart those poles <laughs> yeah when you're skiing it looks um, like it's about Twin, like bang, 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 bang. Like talk about fearless. <laughs> that is like my worst nightmare going down a slalom course. <laughs> I'm, oh my gosh! Well done to you. That is amazing. <laughs> where does um, where does where are our venues in Australia? Where can you? Yeah. So every ski racing, every sorry, I'll restart that. Every mountain usually has a ski racing club for the major ones at least. So you have Parisher, Threadbow, Mount Buller, Falls Creek, um, and Mount Hotham, which are the main ones. I don't believe there's anything at Selwyn <laughs> yet, hopefully sometime in the future. Um, so they have like independent ski racing clubs um, that sometimes are a part of the ski school, but their own type of branch. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. anyone join yeah. those? Can I just go next week and join it? Um, no, so <laughs> do the handshake, the special handshake in the song. No, no, not not quite, Emma. Um, a lot of those ski racing clubs have tryouts, so I had to do a tryout when I was twelve to get into the ski racing club, as well as other clubs I expect, and they just do a general like physical screening as well as ski racing screening just to see if you have potential because they're quite like smaller like subsets of like I guess the larger ski racing population so since 12 you've been under competitive kind of world and then you've also been by yourself a lot (laughs) it's it's an it's an kind of a amazing lifestyle that you live are your coaches your best mates maybe (laughs) around you like who yeah, it depends on the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> ski race is an indiv- indi- an individual sport and I think it can be pretty lonely for a lot of people especially people on private teams where it's just them and their coach and at my level that's probably about half of the athletes you'll see but it's cool I'm on a team with about like 12 13 other athletes so it almost feels like a group like um team sport in a way as well because you're leveraging like um, every everybody's like abilities and you're training with each other so it's creates that environment where you're pushing yourself to get better based off of like the people you're with um, and then 
coaches are obviously a part of that, but they're not always your mates. Like I, I feel like a good <laughs> will will tell you how it is and um tell you maybe not the ways that you can improve. And sometimes that's like in a constructive way, and sometimes it's like pretty straightforward and direct. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, obviously that's dependent on what the athlete needs at that given time. Which way do you learn? Do you do you want it laid out to you straight on the ball or sugarcoat it, please? <laughs> um, for me, I'm pretty much like straight to the point. So I like like the European style of coaching, or at least my coaches who are Italians, who have a really good like technical background and understanding. But sometimes they'll be like, "Die, Sammy, what are you doing?" And I'll be like, "Yeah." Okay. What was the uh, what was the funny story in the book about the Italian coaches, Kieran? Oh, it's just um, um, Sammy had some really nice Italian coaches at the Throboski Racing Club, um, and uh, there was a guy called um, Kiko, which is short for Federico, and Maurizio, and um, we actually named our dog Kiko because we liked um Kiko so much but but they were nice really good looking 25 year old guys and whenever the girls were training and skiing down the coast uh, the course they would just yell um focus focus but in their northern italian accent it just completely came out as focus 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 <laughs> and uh, so the girls would just be laughing as they sort of finished the course and they never did tell the coaches because they just wanted it to continue so it was really really funny sort of nice I must have been wondering why you're laughing on every chairlift like what yep. <laughs> that is a classic Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, so how, so Sammy, how can you, um, it sounds, I mean, the pathway sounds really interesting, but not for everyone, but yeah. how can the, like, is it just the Australian team that's so, so fragmented? Like how can the Australian team or in that scenario, like how can it unify a lot better? Like how, mm. what would you want to see? Yeah. So against like the big ski racing nations it's pretty tough to compete just because we don't have the unified resources so like the swiss italians americans canadians whatnot you kind of like name the big ski racing nations like they'll have like a dedicated um training group for whatever level you're at um like if you meet a certain threshold so um australia doesn't have that um so we have to kind of pursue training um on our own and there's so i would like to see at least like a unified like training group over the southern season either whether that's in the in new zealand where i'm at at the moment or in australia it was funny i was on the hill the other day and i was training with my team coburger academy and it was just funny because there's a bunch of like australian team jackets but we're all training in different courses and I think one of us that just pointed out like the irony of that, like we're all together. We've all not in Australia pursuing our thing, but we all end up in this space where it's just super disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's not the best it's- and not really conducive to like success. 
Is Snow Australia trying to put that together? I mean, they rebranded like three years, I think. So is there something that they are kind of working towards, Snow Australia, as the body around? Or is it the Australian Institute of Sport? Which body is it that looks after you? So it's Snow Australia, but that's under the branch of the Australian Institute of Sport. Yeah. And at the moment, um, I would say no. We get a lot of support like from like the head coach in terms of like determining our plans and he's super super supportive but there's not really a move towards creating a team again which dad kind of grew up in yeah I just I just it's un Australian to hear this <laughs> yeah. like, to put it like simply because yeah. that's what we do we do team sport we do it we're you know netball world cup soccer world cup you know where is the skiing community our winter community it's really sad to hear this actually is it a a government thing I mean I'm just thinking aloud is it a funding thing like how can how can somebody how can we change it how can so I I think it's a bit of a funding thing um because I think there's definitely the opportunity for it and there's the talent for it we have some amazing um um men and women like on the circuit at the moment but at the moment, there's private teams doing a really good World Cup level program. So I think there's a lot of people who would be hesitant to change. Like there's this one like really prolific program called Global Racing, which is an all men's team for people who don't have that that national team structure from other countries as well. This is just it's not an Australian program like uniquely. So yeah. there's other people going through the same thing. So Harry laid laws on that, yeah. and that's pretty much a World Cup level team and providing really good service um and there's also a lot of people who can afford like private training groups and i don't think they're for the rich like, you know willing to step away but, from that but yeah. it's tough because i feel like if we all kind of banded together and banded together those resources like we could put together a good program but i think people are pretty content with their own programs at the moment. So there's a bit of hesitance to kind of move toward more of a unified thing. Mm, Interesting, because I feel really like, I mean, as a spectator right now, I feel really positive about the changes happening in Australian snow, like with the the infrastructure and the the new buildings in Jindabyne and everything. And so it's really good to always kind of step back and see, okay, what next? Mm. yes this is like a good what next isn't it i mean alpine alpine's what next you know yeah alpine hello alpine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 how does um how i'm curious how did the kiwis go compared to us australians like it's in terms of training um like team you know pathway everything so the kiwis are in a similar boat but except like at the moment one of my good friends alice robinson has come oh, through and won a couple of World Cups. And that's kind of changed the game for New Zealand a bit. Now, a lot of the mountains are really backing ski racing because they see the the potential in it. Um, so her success has really created a good movement in New Zealand. However, she's just on a lo- another level compared to all the um, female Kiwi ski racers. So she's on a her own individual program. And... The rest don't really have a unified training structure. So one of my teammates in the past years, Jack Adams, is a is on the New Zealand team, but there's not like a New Zealand training group. Do your coaches work together? Like are you 
they who sets the course? Do you all come together? Yeah. The courses but, there, but there is like the Coburger Academy, which is almost the de facto New Zealand ski team, but also has international athletes joining. So that's what I'm on while I'm in Coronet Peak. And that's run by Niels Koberger, who's also the coach of Alice Robinson and oh. one of other one of the other coaches of Alice, Tim um cafe like also works with the Coburger Academy so there's kind of a joint training structure there so that's kind of the close thing they have to a New Zealand team yep I would say which actually is more than Australia has so the other thing the other thing I'm thinking while you're talking apart from thinking about those Italian 25 year olds calling it I'm you know like I guess the push pull factors like if more private companies gave sponsorship to athletes so they could train more would that help elevate them to get those places to kind of you know to to just to see what Australians have done in this last season overseas and the success they've had and then people that aren't in the ski industry are going oh wow I didn't haven't heard of that name and now they have and you know, it's like which, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do we need more government funding for the snow industry or is it more corporate sponsorship for the athletes to go, hey, I just won over here. Can we please have more yeah. investment? <laughs> yeah, so I think the answer is a bit of both. Um, but it's it's tough. Like from their perspective, they want to fund the teams that are most likely to produce a medal. But it is paradoxical in the sense that you need funding to be able to produce a medal because you're going up against these ski nations, which are either funded by the government or a mix of corporate sponsorships. And a lot of those European teams are also paid a salary because they're on their military or police teams, which is kind of a funny thing. Wow. Um, so they're important for the government to do their sport, whereas ski racing, we don't really have that support in Australia. Um, so any level of funding, whether that's government or corporate, would be great. But I think like and Kieran, you talk racing... about oh sorry, I was going to just continue. Kieran in your book, you talk you had a really good um, case study of the the Norwegians and what happened when the Norwegian government got behind them. Yeah, can you? Just... No, it, it, it was incredible. Australia was. Um, you know, probably ahead of Norway in the mid-80s in terms of ski racing. Um, and now Norway is probably one of the top three or four ski racing nations in the world. And and what happened was um, the government of Norway created this huge sovereign fund to put all the oil revenues from the North Sea in. And a lot of that gets directed to the athletes in every type of sport, whether it's triathlon or skiing or cross-country skiing so alpine skiing got you know really good investment in it and, and you know it shows they were the last olympics in china they won the medal tally in 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 the winter olympics they they beat the us and russia and china so they were on top and, and they're a nation of four million people so it's possible but it's but it's like, you know, do we want to direct those resources, you know, to these sort of, you know, to these sports? And and the answer is, yes. you know, has been, is we just want to direct the funds to sports like swimming, where we know we're just going to win a lot of medals or sailing or rowing kind of thing where it's, uh, so it's, it's completely understandable, but. I guess my sort of advice for 
anybody that's listening that's got a super keen like 13 or 14 year old you know what the pathway really is is um you know start thinking about those ski academies um you know get a scholarship because they're available and then move to that uh, college racing in the states because you can get a full scholarship there and they'll pretty much pay for everything sammy was on a scholarship there for a year just before covid started and then came home because of covid uh, but that's a really good pathway and if you sort of top that thing then you can almost jump straight to world cup where you you, you get some support so there is a pathway that's possible um but where people like Sammy are at now is they, you know, probably need a little bit more support, you know, from fundraising and that sort of thing. And that's not easy because it's all changed. TV doesn't work the same way it does anymore. So now it's all about how many Instagram followers you have and how many, you know, it's all sort of social media driven. So that whole landscape has really changed. And I think, you know, for people that want to be athletes that, you know, uh, sadly or happily, that, that's now sort of almost a core competency that you have to get on top of, you know, in order to sort of start generating some of that funding. Gosh, and that's a job in itself, trying to keep up Instagram, trying to TikTok, trying to, you know, that is like, honestly, and if you're not on top of all the trends in that, then yep. that's a tough gig to get your followers, you know, like, so, but... It's definitely it's definitely where it's at, isn't it? It's a new world, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's a struggle. It's a struggle, and you're out there just going, "I'm good. I'm like fourth in you know slalom in Italy last year, 2023." <laughs> when I yeah. did, you know, so that, that that's right. And and really, what it comes down to is like you know, I've I've been trying to convince Sammy to take up beach volleyball for probably the last <laughs> ten years because. It's- <laughs> it's a lot cheaper and um looks like a lot of fun but um but you know what it comes down to and what really sustains you i think is just that absolute love for the mountains and skiing and that sort of thing um and i th- i think if you've got that you know even if the journey doesn't quite finish where you want it to finish but still you know it's just a wonderful process to live in lots of different countries and experience all these cultures and ski on these huge mountains everywhere overseas like you know it's a really really wonderful experience is it is it as wonderful as a parent you know because sometimes I do think that when I'm like shivering on the side of a football field going we should have done like something else for our kids but is it (laughs) as you know do you get a lot out of it as a parent like has it been really fun for you I, you know, because I did ski racing at quite a high level, um, I sort of bypassed all the, you know, gatekeeping standing on the side of the courses, you know, so I got involved in, you know, more looking at like the safety of the courses and that sort of thing. So, um, and because I'm kind of like, you know, middle-aged white guy, I would just start telling race organizers in all sorts of different countries, now you've got to change the finish and you know, you've got to do this. And they all just follow. And it was kind of remarkable. So, And so that sort of makes me happy that, you know, at the margin that I can sort of help make things a little bit safer and a little bit better because I've had that sort of experience sort of thing. Um, so has it been a positive experience? Yeah, it it has. And, and, and just to see, you know, you don't get many opportunities in life to really follow your dreams. 
Like you, you just don't. And and particularly as an athlete, you can't go back in five years' time and follow it. That That's not an option. So, you know, to, to see Sammy sort of following her dreams and really pushing on, sorry, that's the dog barking. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's really cool. But at the same time, you know, I don't want her to just keep doing it, you know, if it's, you know, if, if she loses the love for it or, you know, it's just time to move on. So. Well, I'm sure I think I think she can honestly say that she's got a dad that, you know, I'm sure you've got a tattoo somewhere that says follow your dreams, Kieran. Like, uh, yeah, but I won't tell you which appendage it's on. <laughs> it reads, <laughs> John. Have you have you read have you read your dad's book yet? I have. I actually I read it in one sitting. Did you? And my sister Gabby did at the same time. Oh wow! Yes, we um, we know we know a lot about your parents' um life, don't we? <laughs> he doesn't hold anything back. <laughs> I have to I have to turn it down at times because I'm listening to all, like the audio version. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel her in the room. <laughs> part of life. It's part of life. Part of life. <laughs> Um, so where to next? What? What? Because we've got Italy in 2026. Do you plan to be there? Or yeah, that's that's a big goal of mine. I want to make the Olympic team. Awesome, um, Cortina, and that would be pretty cool because my whole team at the moment, like my coaches, are Italian. I'm training 45 minutes out from Cortina. I'm learning the language while I'm in Canberra and on Duolingo. Yeah. <laughs> so I not so much I French, know. just Italian. <laughs> yeah. Italian and German are like the main languages for ski racing anyway. And I know oh, a bit wow. of that. That's yeah, so that's interesting. Big, yeah. So that's that's a big goal of mine. But I think the main one is just to be a consistent top 30 competitor on World Cup and hopefully like break into like that top five, top 10 area. Um because that's where I want to be, because I that's actually a good showing of like being a good a good ski racer because it's the top level the olympics are also amazing would be such an honor but world cup is more competitive because not all of the athletes can compete in that yeah Um, and it's also really cool because you get to travel the world um compete at like really cool different mountains and yeah i think just that competing at that high level and pushing to be the best is kind of where it's at. So that's where I want to be ideally. Oh, awesome. So, so when are you competing in Australia next? It's next month, is it? Yeah, next month. I'll be competing at Mount Hotham for the Australian New Zealand Cup races around September 4th through the 8th. So are I'm you really excited. I think you might have to bring your running shoes. There's no snow. <laughs> We're keeping our fingers crossed about the snow situation. I'm keeping then, everything crossed. I know it's not great at the moment, but yeah. <laughs> and after the national champs in Perisher, so. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that's okay. Snow. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's always such a good time racing in Australia. It's pretty chilled laid back vibe and I grew up um racing at all of those hills so it's special coming back to that I'm mean, also having friends who are on the mountain because I also ski instructed to help pay for my ski racing in Threadbow for three seasons oh, so those guys will come out and support and they love to get behind it so oh, I, I love goosebumps 
I love it. That's so yeah. Cool. <laughs> Is there any other way that um you know everybody can support the the Alpine team, the athletes yes. in national. general that we haven't? Yes. A lot of like individual athletes on the national team have like fundraisers. Like I do through the Australian Sports Foundation. You mean like a mate raffle or something or like something better? (laughs) Yeah. And then also this year I'm looking to put together some fundraising events and hopefully like as a collaboration between some other athletes who are, who need some support as well. Um, So that would be the best way at the moment. But also if you're a company, like consider sponsoring us. Yeah. Um, we'd love to be like a good ambassador, like for your brand. Um, what would sponsorship be? What would you need? Like, would you yeah. just okay, give me a thousand and I need yeah, 10 sponsorships or what's it look like? Yeah. yeah. So, like, sponsorship in either money or in services or product is great. How much um, money? Like, I mean, I'm being serious. Like, would is a thousand helpful? Is it five thousand helpful? Ten thousand or what would be the minimum? From a company, from like five thousand to ten thousand would probably be the ideal range. But obviously, like anything is helpful. Yeah. So, like, usually for a helmet sponsor, which Alpine ski racers have, um, is around like ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, or more, depending on what level you're at. So that's definitely what most racers would be looking for. But of course, like anything is helpful at this stage since. I know for me and a lot of other ski racers, you don't really get that much support. But at the same time, like we're all transitioning and trying to run our ski racing like a small business and trying to attract that. So and provide value to them in return. So anything is helpful and we're trying to do our best um, to represent them in Australia in the best way possible. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's great. I'm I'm actually proud of Tanil and I because we have had three events where we have um employed um it's athlete australian ski athlete oh. at our two events and That's at cool. our women's snow retreat we had um josie baff come and talk to the girls so we we really consider it important and we're Amazing. proud of our little effort we are <laughs> it's good. growing we hope to, yeah. grow to build you guys and get you out and if you do your event loving the snow life girls will come along and yeah. screw them. it's women women supporting women isn't it and it's just like it's every little bit is like sports really i mean gosh come on australia i don't know how many times i have to say that (laughs) we've we've got daughters janelle's got two and i've got one so you know like watching the matildas the other night it's like look where we can get look i love that support and getting behind like our australian um female athletes it's huge Um, so it's it's awesome what you guys have done and awesome the trend that it's going to as well at the moment with other sports so hopefully um alpine can kind of jump on that trend as well and we can get behind all of our athletes we love a bandwagon in australia get on it it. now's the time get your instagram up (laughs) well it's been awesome to talk to you and um I don't think I'm going to think about Italians the same now. Um, But um, anything you want to add, Kieran? No, I'm all good. It's lovely to spend some time with you guys. Yeah, yeah, you too. And, Um, oh, we forgot our last final question. Oh, we do. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, Sammy, do you know what our question is at the end? 
It's where's your favorite place to ski? Ski in the world. I'd have to say for powder at Big Red Cats growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's that's not even a lie to make dad happy. Um, genuinely <laughs> the best. Um and and I'll give a ski racing one. For ski racing, I love the Cortina. Yeah. Just great for alpine ski training and beautiful views of the Dolomites. What about Australia? Oh, Australia, ah, that's a tough one between Hotham and Threadbow. I think Threadbow takes the cake when we have a lot of snow. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Hotham yeah. has some really cool terrain, um, so I also love that. Mm. Got to get there. Got to get there. Never skied Hotham, but one day. Oh, yeah, you got to go. <laughs> it it's was so this cool. year, but not a chance am I going to pay that money to get down there this year. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, enjoy your time in New Zealand. Like, keeps updated. We'll follow you on fo- socials. And are you on social media? Yes, I am on social media. What's um, your socials? It's Sammy Gall. So Sammy spelled S-A-M-M-I-E, Gall, G-A-U-L. And I have Instagram, Facebook, and I have a website as well, actually. What oh. is it? Um, SammyGall.com. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's and that's mean. just socials yeah and that with more information about me what i'm up to um some news and some background behind me as well and sammy is available for talking <laughs> yes. oh yeah talking opportunities, <laughs> opportunities and yeah anything else <laughs> yeah look awesome. thanks for your time we appreciate it good luck with everything amazing and kieran thanks for your time again yeah, I look forward to getting up to the chapters, which I haven't gotten up to yet, which might be a bit shamey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have named it Growth, Truth, Adventure and Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly. <laughs> God. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Sammy's vomiting in her mouth currently. Yes. <laughs> I know. I was thinking of Kieran's children. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, have fun in Quicktown. Hopefully, the snow comes and Australia gets it for you, and we'll be following you. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.